Hello, everybody, and welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast, where this week we'll be discussing Episode 5 of Star Trek Lower Decks, Cupid's Errant Arrow. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin, and joined, as always, by... The other host, Ethan. So, gotta dive right into this. So, I'm gonna say up front, uh, I liked the episode quite a bit. I feel like, given that I was a little disappointed by the way the show seemed to be going over the last two weeks, I feel like the show is kind of back to what it originally was. And that's weird to say, because we're only five episodes in. It's almost like, okay, now the show's back to what it was. And it was just... I agree with that. Yeah, we, we really... A lot of the things that we didn't love about last week's were missing from this week, so that was nice. Agreed. Agreed. So I, I thought it was a really... It was a fun episode. I had some pretty good laughs, but there was... So obviously I've got a whole section dedicated to continuity watch, but Jesus Christ, is there was there a shit ton this week of just like references thrown out left throwing being thrown out left and right and it was they were almost being thrown out into the show at the pace of like the number of jokes in like a naked gun movie they were just coming in all over the place yes and yeah. i think this is maybe the second time that we've had mariner sort of give a, a quick list of a bunch of references yeah in the last in the first episode she just that's it like name dropped a bunch of people at the end of the show just one after the other after the other so yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy, but yeah, I'm feeling good about the show this week. I, I really enjoyed the episode, and just to give a brief recap of what the show was about this week, so we have the three plots. So the show opens up, we've got the the Cerritos and the USS Vancouver. Um, they're both, it's, the Cerritos is assisting the USS Vancouver in the destruction of an unstable moon. Meanwhile, Mariner is suspicious of Boimer's sudden new girlfriend and Tendi and Rutherford grow jealous of the Vancouver's um, sort of more advanced uh, Starfleet gear and all of its advanced tech because it's a, you know, the, sh the ship seems to be a natural evolution of the Cerritos. So um, yeah, so I thought all three plots were good. I have got to say, just from a high level, the one that I was actually enjoying the most was the subplot with Tendi and Rutherford, which I got to say, the two of them have become quite a pair, and they're really becoming two of my fa my two favorite characters on the show. I just love the fact that they're just like, they're nerds, they're Starfleet nerds, and they just love being there, and they just love being on a ship, just doing whatever. It, it, it's almost like to them, it doesn't matter what the assignment is. Just, they just love doing it because they love being in Starfleet. Yeah, and I think they really have the attitude of all um, the great characters that work in engineering in that, and we saw it at the end, they love their ship. Yep. Even though it's sort of a hunk of junk compared to other mm -hmm. ships, they just they have a deep love for their ship and that's what you always want in your engineering Agreed. crew on a star trek show yeah and the the two the two officers who are just they're just happy to be there right like I, they obviously want to impress the higher ranks but you know if rutherford's told to clean the plasma scrub the plasma manifolds he'll go and happily do it because he's like hey i'm on a starship i'm in starfleet i'll do whatever you want me to do no matter how no matter how insignificant it is yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's like those people that I'm just happy to be here. Right. 
Like I maybe I, I didn't think I would get here in my life, and here I am, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're kind of a nice. Uh, I mean, maybe it's weird to say it now, but they're kind of a nice mirror of like Star Trek fans, right? They just they love their franchise. I mean, whether you, whether the Star Trek fans are pa- in terms of like the passion, right? They're not gonna like, you know. <laughs> I know Star Trek. The Star Trek fan base obviously has haters, but I think the reason why they bash stuff is just because of how much they enjoy it. That's right? true, but yeah, I'm going to take your metaphor and expand it. Go ahead. So the USS Vancouver in this metaphor um, is the Orville, mm. and the Cerritos is the new Trek shows, and I think many fans would have sold out <laughs> sold out for the Orville oh, very quickly. That's that's interesting. That's a very oh I don't I I, I don't like that metaphor, but it rings true a little it bit. It rings true, yeah. I never I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> but and I gotta hey, say point. all three of the storylines were great and I feel that one didn't overpower any of the others. No, I mean they were uh, they were even they were pretty much they pretty much all got well i feel like the the diplomatic plot the having to destruct having to destroy that moon and what are the sort of like diplomatic ramifications i think that one definitely got the least amount of time still got a, a fair amount of it but, and that's what i liked because yeah. this is lower decks this is not bridge yep. crew so right. i like the fact that we got just enough to a entertain us cuz that little scenes were hilarious yep. and b so we knew what was happening with the ship so mm-hmm. that when we got to our other characters, we knew what the context was. But I really like that we didn't we didn't get much. I think this is exactly what we were talking about last week. It is. We wanted the balance to be 80-20 Lower Decks yep. crew to um, bridge crew. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, also the bridge crew was a lot more reasonable. I think yeah. Instead of seeing them as terrible people, I just saw them as um, stressed out. And yep. what it sort of brought up for me is this fact that it, it's it's a little bit strange that as a captain of a ship in in Starfleet, you have to be a captain of a ship, obviously, and everything that goes with that. You also have to be a diplomat. You have to be a peacemaker. You have to be an emergency management person. Yep. Um, you have to be a psychologist. You have to do all of these things. And we've seen characters that are great at it. And it makes sense that not everyone would be as great as Picard at doing all those things. So we really got to see the captain here, um, you know, react like maybe any of us would when faced with all this stress. And I really loved it when um, she, she just screamed, shut up and let me think. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, she was dealing with a lot, life and death decisions. And, yeah. you know, I think we take it for granted. Picard would stay so calm through all these life and death decisions. Yeah. But an average person would probably have some moments of letting their emotions. It's interesting, you, it's interesting you mentioned that because I felt that what the Cerritos did this week, even though on the show they try to peg it as the Cerritos is a very unimportant ship, so meaning that, or suggesting that it's going to be doing these sort of menial or unimportant tasks i feel like what they were doing this week that would have been and this kind of ties into just how well the creators of the show love next generation i feel like this was something you would have seen on next generation 
Oh, totally. I feel like we've seen episodes right. very similar. Yeah, I mean, you had episodes of Next Gen where the Enterprise had to stop an asteroid from colliding with a planet, or it had to help a planet by modifying its atmosphere. But, you know, in this case, they have to take out a moon because it's posing a threat to the planet. So this was definitely something that I, w I feel like we would have seen the Enterprise do in Next Gen. The only big difference is Picard obviously would have been, I think, more successful at the di on the diplomatic side even though they were successful this week, he would have had that, he would have been successful at that, I think, much faster. And this was right. sort of this captain's first sort of foray into doing that. And to your yes. point where she says, shut up and let me think. Right. Yeah. It's a fine reaction for anyone in that situation. Yeah. Now, I think is... we should go right to, I think, one of the big, um, the big things. I know this is going to cut it into our laugh of the week, but have we had a situation in Star Trek? I feel like I remember something from Next Gen where... The Enterprise was there to save people, and for whatever backward, dumb, you know, superstitions or whatever, they were refusing to be saved. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah I, I can't think of anything, but I, like, I know like stuff like that has been done before. Right. Now, yeah. I know we hear a lot about people saying, I don't want politics in my Star Trek. Yeah. But I think, and I'm going to go there because I think it's good to talk about the overarching story arc first. Uh, and I, we both agreed that the funniest line, probably for both of us, was the, when she's talking about the moon plummeting into the planet. Yeah. And one of the inhabitants says, moons can't plummet. That's just something the government made up to control us. I know. That, that cut deep. That cut so deep. Yeah. But... It, it was so pitch perfect because it's commenting on the current moment in our country. It's making us laugh and it's showing the absurdity, like any good satire should. It's showing right. the absurdity of actual points of view that people have. Well, and I think what's great about that is that given that Lower Decks is a comedy, they're able to make it funny. But Next Gen or Deep Space Nine or, Boy or any of the other shows could have used that same sort of position, but made it serious right so lower decks can actually kind of take the same idea but instead make it funny can be so yeah. can make a social comment on something but instead make it funny as opposed it's right. it's, it's kind of like in a way that's what when you think back to those old sitcoms like all in the family and mod like they may have been doing social commentary but it was funny and i think that's that's kind of what lower decks can do as opposed to the other. I mean, the other shows could have done it and made it funny. I'm sure some of them have. I just can't think of anything. But they weren't comedies, right? Yeah, they, I think it would they... have been more a tragedy, you know? Yeah. They would have played, if it were next-gen, they would have played up the fact that these poor, ignorant people, they just don't understand. We're just here to help them. Um, yeah. And, and then that... even the fact that it were, find out that it was only one rich couple that wanted to save their so, house. That was so... Well, and I was going to add to that because when you mentioned that they say, oh, it's just something the government made up to... That could very well, just that one line, even though it's a, it's sort of a comment on today's world, that could have potentially been an... That would have been like maybe a whole... The entire plot of an episode of Next Generation, possibly, right? But when they, when, when they reveal that it's the couple, I fucking... I howled. I thought that was so funny. And she's just like, destroy the moon. Yeah. And he said, um, but we just put in new floors... Oh, that was great. And another great. 
we're skipping ahead a little bit. One of the great lines was when they said, but that's one of the several moons that we worship. Well, so I love when, so going back a little bit, so when they're trying to figure this out with that species and the captain says, okay, we're going to, you people live on the fifth moon, but since we're, and we're going to move you to the sixth moon, but now that we destroyed this planet, you're technically going to be on the fifth moon again. So she's like doing this, she's like doing this like math equation. Like, yeah, yeah you live on the fifth planet now, but when we destroy this one, we move you to the sixth planet. Yeah, destroy this one see, then you'll technically be on the fifth planet still i wonder if they learned from seti alpha 5 that you have to recalculate the planet numbers of the moon numbers after i had the exact same thought i was like is that some sort of like cute wrath of khan seti alpha <laughs> 5 reference there yeah uh, it was great so the thing that stood out to me immediately was i love i absolutely and this and just sort of like browsing various trek forms and stuff the design of the USS Vancouver is a, it's a huge hit with the Trek community. We love the design of that ship. I think it looks so cool. It just it looks like another it looks like a much more like advanced version. It looks like it's the next step in the evolution of the Cerritos. And I think it's a great looking ship. And um, you know, I don't have very many Starfleet ship models. I have a couple of I have a few of the uh, Eagle Moss XLs. In fact, my XL model of Discovery just arrived the other day. And so I was thinking like if if Eagle Moss, when Eagle Moss finally does do the models of the ships on the show, as soon as they come out with the USS Vancouver, that thing is going to be sitting on my shelf right away. I love the design of that ship, and we've never seen that ship before. Yeah, that's a that's a good looking ship. It's got kind of like a, a wider, you know, a wider kind of I don't know wheelbase or nacelle base. Wheelbase. <laughs> That's what yeah, you're calling. I'm, I'm going to call it a nacelle base, yeah. and um, I think that'll work. Yeah, it but looks. It kind of, yeah, it's more it looks more squat than a lot of the ships. Yeah, like it looks like the successor to the Cerritos, but it also has a little bit of the. Um, if you're if you're familiar with any of the ship classes in Trek, like it has a little bit of the of the Miranda class, which is the Reliant, and then a little bit of the Nebula class that we've seen throughout Next Gen and DS9. Mm. So it's a. They've been really good at taking the existing ship design and really evolving it. Like it's still they still look like yeah, they're part of the next generation era of Starfleet. And they're just getting more advanced. So uh, yeah, so I love right. that ship, yeah. And they're I've seen it here referred to as a Parliament class. Is that official? Parliament class, yep. So that's is that a new class? That's a new class. Also speak a California class and Parliament class added to the yep. ships. Yeah. Um to kind of back up again really quickly, so when when we're in that, because one of my notes here, when they're in the conference with all those aliens and they're just kind of objecting to what they want to do with that, with that moon, I got a really good laugh because I loved how one of them just sounded like some old Jewish lady from Brooklyn. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why, it just, like, it just like really, really tickled me. Nice, yeah, that is a yeah. classic voice to do, it seems. Yeah. So... But on the other plot of the week, so we find out that Boimer has a girlfriend, which is not sitting well with um, Mariner. And so Mariner, of course, needs to figure out, oh, she, this isn't, she's not who she, she's not who she says she is. And I was trying to think back to the earlier episodes. Is this, would you say, is this really the first time Mariner's expressing some kind of jealousy? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stating the obvious, right? I think this is sort of the beginnings of, you know, Marin is probably going to have feelings for him. But I couldn't remember I couldn't remember any specific times where we got hints of that beforehand. Am I... Can you? 
No, other than just the fact that that they are, you know, really good friends and yeah, yeah. I hope it doesn't become a will they won't they, and I hope it is a yeah. To, they don't personally. Yeah. Um. Well, I think I think it's too early I can for see that. It heading there. Yeah, I, I I can see it heading there. I think if they do, I think it's too early for that right now because we're only five episodes in. Right. Right. Well, here's the thing though. I was trying to tease this out after, and I don't know that she was being jealous because she was right. She's got a really good eye for these sort of things. Remember, she saved him once before from a yeah. woman um, when they had the away mission. Right. Who was some sort of a lizard lady who yep. was going to lay eggs in his mouth. Right. Yeah, no, I thought um, of that too. I thought and, of that too. You know, and in a sense, she was right. There was something off about it. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny and you know, very insulting, <laughs> but hilarious that um, essentially just this woman is way way too out of your league. There must be some kind of yeah alien parasite problem happening. So it could just be that if anything, she's just being a little bit more protective of him because she may not want to see him make some of the same mistakes that she possibly made during her Starfleet career. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I, I, I just... And yeah. it, it did make sense because... And first of all, I think we have to shout out um, Gillian Jacobs mm-hmm. being the voice of um, Barbara Brinson. Yep. Who, you know, of course, from Community. Yep. Always in Girls. Always good in everything she's in, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it did seem strange. She's higher up in the, um, you know, hierarchy... Yep. She's very accomplished. She's knows all the cool people. Yeah. So it did seem off. Mm. And it's long distance. So like, what, what what would she have been getting out of this relationship? Aside from as she says the pheromones. So right. yeah, I, I just right. not to say that I don't think you're right, but just to say that I was left wondering. Well, and also or just. The well, and also the subplot with the girlfriend came out of the blue, right? It wasn't something that we knew about beforehand, but that's also what happens when you do self-contained stories each week, right? This was not telegraphed beforehand. This could have happened any number. Right. It could have been any number of you know weeks or months in between the last episode. So, yeah, yeah. And they just said, um, you know, oh, this girlfriend that you talk about, and you know that that seemed fine. Yeah, that you mentioned her a few times before, but. Well, and I loved I love that she joked with him, and she's like, "This better not be another holodeck recreation," yeah. suggesting that like, "Oh, you know, he made some he made up some fake girlfriends in the holodeck before," which uh, puts me in mind of a specific Voyager episode called um, "Alter Ego," which has like a which has like a slightly similar situation where Harry Kim becomes attracted to a holodeck character. Okay, but uh, also, yeah, as you know, my favorite, um, you know, uh, unlucky in love character, Jordy, as well. You manage to work Jordy in every week somehow. It's amazing. You no, know, jo- Jordy manages to work Jordy in. That's what I said. Well, well, it's funny you mention that because one of my notes is uh, sort of an observation is that I love when he gets onto the Vancouver to give her her little teddy bear, and the teddy bear's got a visor on. Yes, a gold visor. A gold visor. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of visors, good. this is a total side note, but I just want to throw it in here. Um, when I noticed something I hadn't noticed before about Rutherford, 
his eye is sort of like an eight bit eye because we got a close up of it today yeah. and it moves around. And so it's almost like it looks like a Game Boy screen, sort of like that kind of color. Yeah, it's a little like L- LCD. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that was a good, I think the romance between the two of them was a little, uh, you know, it was cute. I like that. I like that subplot. But as I mentioned at the opening of the show, my favorite plot this week, subplot this week, was the one between Tendi and Rutherford. I thought that worked so well, and I'm just I love because the two of them again, they're two Starfleet nerds, and they're also becoming like besties that are just gonna yeah. stick together. And I just I I love that. It's just it's yeah. Because I was thinking to myself like yeah, if, I really, if I were in Starfleet, that would be me. <laughs> I really like the the T88s. I don't know what G88 is, but yeah. So one of the I thought was great when they both imagined how great it would be if they got the T88. Yes. In their crew, holding it up and the light on them, and the whole crew kind of just fawning all over. It reminded me. It reminded me in a Zelda game when Link gets a new item and he holds it up like that, and it's yes. just like you know you've got the you've got the red candle, <laughs> right. and it's yeah. But it's more like when he gets the master sword and he holds it up. Right, exactly. Because like this that's... was a pretty epic. Right, and they're just like we need this because we'll be heroes in our in our respective departments if we can get one <laughs> if we can get these. So yes, but I noticed within that subplot, they said the line I think like three or four times where they they just kept saying, "The Cerritos may be falling apart." The Cerritos may they said it like so many times, and I'm thinking to myself like. Yeah, but the Cerritos isn't really falling. Like, we're just finding this out this week. The Cerritos wasn't falling apart, was it? I think they've established that it's not in great shape, right? Yeah. I can't I can't think of any specific moment. I mean, it wasn't in great shape last week, given that it was terraformed, practically, but That's it was in great shape after that. Right. There certainly was a lot of maintenance to do when she stepped up the schedule. Yeah. Well, that's um, true, too. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah, I... As I said, I think that that is a great classic Trekism of your love for your ship, and the ship is as important as any of the other characters. Yep. And uh, I think they nailed it. Yep. Absolutely so, agreed. Um, I really liked getting some of the um, just more of Boimler and just how silly of a character Boimler is. Mm-hmm. He called his girlfriend Bun Bun. Yep. For instance. Mm-hmm. And. It's just um, a lot of these things that we really get to see his personality more and more, and he's just such a dork. Right. He's just this awkward person. Like, when he said, what do you say, computer, give me a listing of, like, the three of the coolest. And he's, like, he's wearing that outfit. It's, like, three different outfits rolled into one. And remember that? Yes. And I'm, and. The thing is, he comes into the he comes yeah, into ten he forward. Beer. He comes into ten forward like in that leather jacket, like that half leather jacket. And I sat there going, like, he's wearing my jacket. Like I have that same jacket. He's wearing my biker jacket. And it looked like he was wearing like some version of Chuck Taylor's. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. For one of them at least. One of them at least. Yeah. And then what made it, what really made it so good, the best part was Barbara Brinson's reaction. Because he, he did some dumb thing about the beer and he spilled it on her. And, and she said, I don't get you. You came in here wearing that sexy outfit, but then you ruined it by spilling, by like acting like an idiot. Right. But it's so funny that she actually registered she was, that as a sexy outfit. She was into him wearing that, actually. And he, and he wrecked and he, and he fucked up the whole thing by spilling beer on her. That was, that was great. 
Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, we, we like to watch classic sitcoms and whatnot, mm. and didn't this seem like it had a lot of sort of tropes of classic sitcoms? The character that tries oh, to totally. be cooler than they are and totally. screws it up. Yeah. Um, even the one, although, here's the twist, I think. If it were a classic sitcom, um, Mariner would have been wrong about mm. Barbara Brinson. Right. And... And then they probably would have even brought it around to like, I'm just jealous because I really like you or something. Yeah. So I like the twist that she actually was Boimler who had the um, alien. Yeah. You know. Well, and again, to your point, like she was, she was totally into it. So two random musings. Um, in keeping with the, the fact that the captain the Sertos was not really, um, you know, as much of an accomplished captain able to handle all the different stresses. I thought it was also a nice touch that the head of engineering for the Vancouver was totally overstressed. Right. Because he had enough of, it said, so stressful, so epic. He just wanted to get off and go to a, a calm ship that didn't have the weight of civilizations on their hands all the time. Right. So I really like that it's playing... So this is all to say that I like so much better how they're handling the bridge crew. Because like I said at the beginning, they're not terrible people. They're just not as good as as the people we're used to. They're not as good as Picard. They're not as good as um, Riker. Right. And we're seeing, you know, there's got to be that next level of people that they can... They can handle it, but it's not that easy for them, and it stresses them out quite a bit. Well, and I think also when you mention that, you got to throw them a bone from time to time, right? Like even though the Cerritos may not be the most important ship out there, you've got to at least give them right an opportunity into the show where the characters can actually prove themselves that they are just as capable or can be just as capable as, say, the Enterprise. Right, you can't just make them be like a joke the entire time, and I like that they actually succeeded this week. I mean, they successfully addressed the sort of diplomatic crisis that evolved from having to destroy this moon. And one of my notes on that was I loved that how this episode actually went into the kind of difficulties of diplomacy. And I don't think that's something Trek has really done enough of, because Picard makes it seem so easy. Janeway makes it seem so easy. And it's... You don't see enough of the difficulties of a potential diplomatic crisis and how it's not as easy as those captains make it. Absolutely. And I think also, it's in a way, as we often say, Star Trek reflects the times in which it's made yeah and i think i know in my growing up it just sort of seemed like the world order of diplomacy was set yeah you know i didn't think there'd be too many major shake-ups of like we don't really like russia england and france and europe are all our buddies and you know like all those things Mm -hmm. um so I think it's more realistic to think that now that it's really tough to get people to agree to move in the same direction. 
Right. Yeah, and and I think in some ways Deep Space Nine did a little bit of that. I mean, kind of to your point, the diplomatic relations throughout Trek have they've not been shaken up too much, right? I mean, obviously in Kirk's era the Klingons are the bad guys, but by the time you get to the Picard Cisco Janeway era they're the good guys. But Deep Space Nine even though it focused a lot on the sort of internal politics of everything, had the balls to kind of shake that up from time to time. And there was that era in the show, granted it was the Changeling's fault, where the Klingons were the bad guys again. They weren't... Right. Right? So Deep Space Nine messed around with a lot of the uh, diplomatic relations that we got really used to in Trek, and I don't know that that show gets enough credit for that. So, but I right. like that. I like that. I just realized. Yep. Go ahead. I just realized an interesting direction the Star Trek could go. Now I'm just going to spin out here a little bit. But imagine this: there's a series set whenever, but one of the original founding people, let's say the Andorians, because I love them and they don't get enough attention. They, because of changing attitudes in their own population, like their leadership, decides they want to leave Starfleet. Because people think, oh, Starfleet Federation, is it's too, you know, it's impacted us too much and we need to be independent and we can't trust them and all yeah. this. That would be kind of neat well, as that, a diplomatic crisis. Well, that's an interesting thing, right? Because even though the Andorians and the Tellarites and the Vulcans, along with humans, they're all the founding members of the Federation and that grew over time to encompass more species, that's something that they, that's a... That's diplomacy they've maintained for hundreds of years, right? Yeah, so it just like we thought things like NATO um, yeah. were forever. Not necessarily true. The EU, I'm sure they thought the EU was forever, and then we have Brexit. Yeah, like... So I think that would be a cool way to go, especially since Patrick Stewart seems to be really... Yeah, like, what, Brexit. what happens in the Federation if one of the or several of the members within the federation do not like the direction that it's taking right right and uh, to your point picard kind of went into that a little bit but i I, that's but it was more as a backdrop i would have liked to have seen the sort of and that's that's actually a story that i think deep space nine could have easily tackled right like what are the what are sort of the internal ramifications if a few of them decide, you know what? This isn't for us. Right. right. And then they like, know, they have all that knowledge. They know everything about the Federation. Like, let's say, the, the you know, I'll use the Andorians. They, they get a leader who's, yeah. you know, like one of those populist types that we've seen all over and sort of like really Andorians first and, you know, we're not going to take outside people influencing us. So you don't trust the person. They take over and then they know everything about your organization. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen Picard maybe flesh that out a little bit more because again, yeah, maybe they will. It was just kind of the the backdrop of the show. So, who knows, maybe we'll learn more about it next season. Yeah. Um But yeah, overall I thought I I'm I'm very pleased with the with the show this week. I felt like it was a uh, as I said, it's weird to say granted it's only the 5th episode, but it felt like a return to form. Like this is exactly what we're now back to what it is about the show that I enjoyed. I felt they kind of deviated from that too much 
over the last two weeks. And I think that they did a good job kind of bringing it back to how the show was initially presented to us. I agree. I think that we got the thing we felt was missing from last week, which was, um, you know, to use a, a cliche, but the heart wasn't there. Right. And I, and I feel like the heart is back both in Rutherford and Tendi and their love for the ship. Yep. Uh, and in, um, Mariner and Boimler's friendship and her like mm. looking out for him and taking that attention off of the, um, the bridge crew, yeah, making that more of a backdrop to what's happening with everyone else. I think that's kind of our winning combination. I think you put in the jokes. Yep. You make sure that the the bridge crew is is funny, but not irresponsible or violent or um, you know treacherous. And you focus it on the lower decks characters. Yeah, I thought that last week and the week before last they were they were beginning to encroach into sort of like parody territory a little a little they were going they were going a little too much into the parody territory and i think i think it's okay to do that kind of humor i just thought they kind i just thought they went a little too much with it and as we talked about it made the scene it made me just not like the senior staff that week those both of those weeks yeah it was and, way too much yeah and we were fearful. We're like, oh god, I hope this isn't how the show is going to be from now on. But hopefully, uh, next week they continue with how this is how it went uh, in the first two episodes and this week. So, okay, so moving on to the continuity watch this week or Easter eggs, I should call. It. I should more. I should actually call it Easter eggs. It's not really continuity. It's more Easter eggs. Uh, fuck, man, there were a lot this week. Like, way, way more. We were, As I was saying earlier at the top of the show, they were just sort of coming in, sort of at the rate of the way jokes come in in sort of a Naked Gun movie. They were just coming in left and right from all from all sides. So Absolutely. I and as I said, bunch. Ed, I think we got the biggest one that we've all been waiting for for a year. Yep. And we finally got an indirect, though it was, a mention of Data's brother lore. Finally. We wanted it so bad in Picard, and we never got it anyone saying a single thing about him but we got and it was hilarious right it, it almost was like yeah sorry guys we realized that we should have said something in Picard because you and I were saying all this time in Picard like I think we said it at least once in every podcast episode with regards to Picard we're just like like why are they not how come nobody has at least dropped the name lore like not how come they haven't done it once like they've got the perfect opportunity to do it nobody has even suspected lore at all like why yeah michael chabon has a youtube channel where he reads children's books and yeah. i wanted to ask him on there but i realized that would be kind of um obnoxious <laughs> it's your only avenue like yeah that was a cute story why the fuck didn't you talk about lore <laughs> yes yeah um and the great thing i think first the scene the scene was an easter egg because it had like the lighting of 10 forward yep and the uniforms were similar and it even almost the hairstyle was like imagining if mariner was on next gen in, yep. you know made in the 80s and she had like detroit like. Like, yep yep so and i really love too that she said she says oh man it's something new every week with those guys. i know it was episode <laughs> yes that, that was, was great really funny so i so let me go down my list of continuity watch and as i say every week if i missed anything 
definitely let us know on Twitter. But I don't, but I don't think I did. I, I actually had to like rewatch this multiple times to make sure I caught everything. So, and I had to like pause and rewind a few times because she was saying things so quickly. I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait, what did you say? So I'll just kind of go down the list. So early in the episode, Boimer references Captain Picard Day, which is when we first see in the Next Generation episode, the Pegasus. Mariner mentions 1920 Chicago, which is a reference to the the gangs of Chicago from the original series episode, A Piece of the Action. This other reference, which is coincidentally my favorite line of the week, where she mentions a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker sprinkles. There was your Enterprise reference, which... <laughs> but an interesting observation about that that I think I can make is that Captain Archer is always the one getting all the references with regard to Enterprise. So Trip Tucker is the first one outside of Archer to finally get, finally get. It's the first time they've actually referenced Enterprise where it was not a Captain Archer reference. So Trip Tucker is the first Enterprise character name dropped from Enterprise outside of Archer, which I think is pretty cool. Look at Porthos. Oh, was he? Oh, I thought you meant just in general. No. No, no. Yeah, yeah, so no, you're right. Um, carry on, carry on. So, when Mariner is suspicious of Brad's girlfriend, she references a number of Trek species, thinking he could be a salt succubus, a Romulan spy, an android, a changeling, and a sexy person who wants to murder you just for going on the grass. Which is references to all different types of alien species <laughs> throughout Trek. So, in the flashback sequence, the USS Quido the ship that Mariner was on before, that ship, that class of ship actually, this is what I find very interesting about this, that class of ship actually appeared in the alternate future in the final episode of Next Generation. It was the USS Pasteur. It was a ship that Beverly Crusher was in command of. And what Lower Decks has basically done now is they've sort of canonized that class of ship because you could say that because the USS Pasteur was, it was the first time we ever saw that class of ship on in Trek at all, which was on Next Generation. But because that was an alternate future, it was like, okay, does it exist? Does it not exist? So Lower Decks kind of establishes that, like, yes, it's actually an existing class of starship that was not created specifically for the future time period depicted in the final episode of Next Generation. So that was cool. The biggest, the bigger Easter egg in that scene, though, when we see that ship, which you missed for some reason, it was docked at Deep Space Nine. I completely missed that. Yeah. <clears throat> Fucking squeed, man. Like, you, you kept... I kept saying, it like... I think I was so excited about the lore part. I didn't... You know, everything yeah. before and after, just... I couldn't even retain... Yeah, they were Dr. Deep Space Nine. And I couldn't tell if... When they were sitting at the bar, like, are they supposed to be at Quark's? Because the lighting looked like it was similar to Quark's, but it didn't look like it was Quark's bar. But I... I so I couldn't tell if they were actually supposed to be at some kind of bar on Deep Space Nine. But yeah, How they could were... you put them in corks and not have some cameo. I know that's that's the weird thing. But they were docked at DS Nine, nevertheless. So and that's and it's the first time we've seen Deep Space Nine. I mean, I did, not you, I guess. Sorry, <laughs> it was the first well, I time. I saw the picture you sent me. Yeah, you were like, "When did that happen?" I'm just like, "This week." What do you What do you mean? When did it happen? I got really excited because I thought it was from uh, a scene from next week. So no, we have a whole episode. No. Of Deep Space. So, but it's the first time we've seen Deep Space Nine since the show went off the air. We've not seen it since, which I think is pretty sweet. So that was yeah. cool. Um, Ma- and so in that, and this, 
I think most of the Easter eggs come out of that moment. So Mariner and her fellow officers, when they're talking from that flashback, they're wearing the First Contact style uniforms, which we've seen in you know First Contact, and they eventually become the uniforms on DS9. The specific episode she's referencing when she talks about lore, she's talking about the TNG episode Descent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then when Mariner's like back at I think like her lab or whatever. She's got a bunch of like pictures on the wall. It's like a, it's almost like a mood board. She's got going. She's got hanging up there, and um, there's the salt. You see a picture of the salt vampire from the first episode of the original series, the Man Trap. You see the binars from an episode of Next Generation, and you see a humpback whale. Nice Star Trek Four reference. Um, those people coming. And she even references the Sulaban. Yes. Another Enterprise reference, that. which I'm sure thrilled you. And um, Brinson thinks that Mariner could be a Breen infiltrator, and the Breen were obviously a species on the franchise before they actually joined the Dominion and were seen in DS9 in the Dominion War. So um, that's what I. So those are all the references I saw this week. If I missed anything, I, again, I say let me know. But there was a shit ton this week that were just coming yeah. in left and right. Yeah, it was I, kind I've of overwhelming. I've got one of my questions, my trademark question. So yeah. they talked about a Umtari tournament. Have we ever heard of Umtari before? I don't think so, but I could be wrong. It doesn't ring a bell. Okay. It does not ring a bell. I'll have to confirm that, but um Yeah, so what so favorite line of the week? I know I I'll repeat mine, but uh what was your favorite line of the week? Oh, um <clears throat> Well, it definitely was um, Moons Can't Plummet. Yep. That's just something the government tell, tells us to try to control us. They were made up to try to control us. Yeah. Um, something new every week with these guys, with those yeah. guys, talking about the Enterprise. That was really good. Um, oh, I also really liked when um, Barbara Brinson was talking about <clears throat> Boimler, and she said, he just radiates primal confidence. <laughs> it was hilarious because Boimler does a lot of things, but he does not radiate primal confidence. Yeah, with mine, I'm going with uh, a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker Sprinkles. I thought that was pretty funny. You know, I missed that one too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, let me see. Wait, well, I got another one. Uh, definitely the other one was um, when she said, uh, first you come in with that sexy outfit, and then you ruin it by acting all weird. <laughs> so lots of good lines this week and so oh, and um the with the alien um and is talking about the planet the moon they had destroyed so, but we just put in new floors yeah that, that was really funny and then so moving into next week so yeah we don't know the name of the episode but what I can do is based on what I saw, some things in the something, two things in the trailer for next week actually jumped out at me. So even though this is not a speculate speculation on what is going to happen in the episode based on the title, what I can say, what I noticed was they find so it looks like they find a derelict starship in what looks like an asteroid field, and it's an old time starship, and it's the Antares class starship, which is a class of starship that we first saw in the animated series. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they sort of retroactively put that into the original series remastered. So we see that. And then, so it's an original series era ship. And then in the trailer, Tendi 
gets excited because she thinks they're gonna she's like oh we're gonna we might find some of those clamshell communicators which is the kirk communicator so oh that was nice yes. yeah so i'm 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 very excited for next week because i want to see uh but i like that i like that they're actually doing a little connecting to the animated series as well so um you know you can say whatever you want about lower decks but you can't not say that it's not respectful of the material of the universe that it takes place in because it's very they know what they're doing on this show as far as connecting stuff so definitely and i think that um it's a good balance too between more subtle and then the straight ahead ones like when mariner does her list or like yeah. the images she has up you know some of them are very on the nose where it's just all right that's totally just Right here, just to throw in reference, and for us. But then there's the the other ones. So I think that uh, if it was just the the really obvious ones, I think that would be a little too much. But I, it's a good balance. Yeah, I mean, I think in just sort of browsing the Trek BBS forum that I posted, I think a lot a lot of the fans sort of sometimes, and even on Twitter, some of the fans are like complaining, like, oh, you know, they throw in too many references, and I just think to myself. If that's your biggest complaint about the show, then I think the show's doing a pretty good job. If you have, if you're complaining that it's referencing material too much, then it seems like they're doing pretty good at that point. It would be a dereliction of duty to not have references in an animated yeah. comedy Trek show. Exactly. I think the people were just. I think people have just been complaining at like they just seem to be doing it left and right. Like they're just doing it so much. Yeah, but they're often funny. They're funny. They make sense, and it's just. But again, it's another example of like, oh, Trek fans will complain about anything. You know, you can't really. Make, you're never going to make them happy. So. Hey, you know what? Nobody asked for those references. <laughs> exactly right. Nobody asked so, for those references. This is our, our minor haters' corner, but we always when we hear the Star Trek fans say, "Nobody asked for X," it kind of gets our goat a little bit because. Yeah. It's just very silly. Because what did I say? Nobody asked for Trek in the first place. Yeah, nobody asked for anything. That's yeah. not how it works. Except that, as you point out, Saints and Rules. So, final segment of the week. So, some some a fair amount of Trek news has dropped over the week. Uh, I've got three items. I know one of them, two of them may spark a discussion, but we'll try to keep it brief. So, But the one that I, the first one I'm going to mention is so today is september 4th as we record this and if if any trek fan knows four days from now is star trek day september 8th which was the day the trek premiered uh back in 1966 so this year will be the 54th anniversary and it's actually kind of a big day they're going to be doing a lot of stuff this year so um and it's all going to be happening over at um, star trek.com slash day so there's basically going to be um, a bunch of online panels streaming live from Star Trek.com. So we're going to get stuff with Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, Original Series, uh, Lower Decks, Voyager, Picard, and Next Generation. So basically every show, more or less, except for Section 31, is going to be getting its own panel on September 8th. So... Um, so CBS is celebrating the 54th anniversary, so there's going to be a ton of online stuff. There's going to be activities. There's going to be, as I said, a series of panels. There's even a free streaming Star Trek marathon, and it looks like it's all happening on StarTrek.com slash day. So they have wow, the... Wow, the first I've heard of this, and this is very cool. Yeah, so they have the 
they should have all the details. I mean, I know I'm sort of giving them free promotion, but uh, yeah. So I definitely, definitely I'm check sorry them to tell out. you, Kevin, our whole podcast is about free promotion. That's true. That's true. But I don't think Star Trek. I don't think Star Trek. I don't think Star Trek.com needs promotion from us. Let's put it that way. But yeah. I'm just, I'm just sort of sharing the info in case people were not aware of this that this was going on. So, um, it looks like all times are going to be Pacific time and beginning at 12 p.m. Pacific time on September 8th, and I believe some of the stuff is U.S. only. Sorry, but I don't know to what extent. So, but they'll be—I'm sure they'll be on YouTube for people to watch after the fact. So, yeah. So it's going to be a big day. This is—I've never actually seen them do anything like that for the uh, for Trek for the anniversary day. Like, and this is something that I think they should have been doing at the 50th anniversary four years ago when Beyond came out. So right. So hopefully this is um, uh, has something to maybe do with the new leadership that is, you know, putting Trek more in the forefront. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is fantastic. I didn't know about this. Um, as you know, I'm a DC Comics fan, and they had something recently. Yep. Um, sort of similar. They had a whole day of panels and things. It, it was okay. It, it got weird because they fired something like seventy percent of those editorial staff a week before it happened so it was yeah. sort of a mess but but i love the idea of because here's the thing i've realized about cons you know it's kind of like a lot of work a lot of standing in lines and things so yeah this is a great way to do it well you know and i know that a lot of this obviously is happening because of the pandemic right but i feel like this now i'm not saying that cons are completely out of the question i mean yes you you lose the in-person aspect especially if you want to like meet them in person and maybe get a photograph taken with them so i get that but i feel like this pandemic is also kind of opening people's eyes to say do we really need to sort of do all of that when a lot of it can just have the same effect if we just stream a lot of this online right and i'm hoping that when this pandemic ends this sort of thing doesn't go away me too. Me too. Yeah. And it, it, I realized, I know, I love the experience of going to New York Comic Con, mm. but I remember at one point I was in a panel and I walked out and right at the end, like I tweeted something that had happened in the panel and someone was like, dirt, an idiot. Yeah. And I was, and I just thought, oh, I thought maybe because I was actually there live, I might have some slight advanced thing, but when they're releasing things at the same time online. Right. right. It's um, yeah. There's no exclusivity to it. Like you said, it's great to be there in person. Well, I remember when I think it was New York Comic Con back in 2018. It was because Discovery was there. Season two had yet to premiere, and yep. they were a few months away. And was that the one you went to? I went to the one during the first season. Okay. No, yeah, that was the one. That was the one. So I remember and. That panel was being streamed online, right? Which was great. I thought, okay, I can actually watch this. But I got kind of pissed during because they actually debuted a new trailer for season two, and they stopped the stream when that trailer when they were when the when they played the trailer at the uh, panel. Oh yeah. And we're like, what the fuck? We can't watch it. I mean, they released it online like after the panel, but like, it was more about the idea. Like, I just feel like you're making me feel like because I'm watching this online. Like I don't feel like I'm not as privileged as those who are 
who are who are gonna who are there watching this, right? Like it just. Well, that's I, funny you say that because yeah. me being there, I felt like I wanted more privilege for having you know hauled my ass down to New York. And, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. But I felt like oh, I could have just stayed home and seen this. Right. Well, I mean. I but think, it was fun. It, obviously, it's meeting people. That's a lot of the fun of it. Talking to people and yeah, yeah, being there in the the atmosphere and whatnot. Well, I, and again, I I was into the whole thing. Everything was going great until that happened, and I was like, "Oh, come on, guys! Like, you're gonna shut me out just because I'm watching this online?" And they did the same thing a couple of years earlier that, with that when um uh for the Star Trek Beyond event when they f- released when they finally released like the real trailer right they were streaming an event online there was this whole event online and when the trailer came they were like all right we have to stop the stream and i'm just like oh come on why can't I? like seriously so right yeah i imagine they're, they're thinking probably if someone's going to record it and get it on youtube before they do and they're going to get all these views probably sure probably uh, thinking but just uh, put it out yourself at the same moment. Like, drop it on YouTube. At exactly. The same All you got to do is time it right. You just got to keep the YouTube page unpublished, and then, yeah, I I do this shit. I do this stuff for a living. I know how to, I know how to do that. So yeah. So I think I'm I'm very I'm very pleased to see them doing that on Star Trek Day. And and as I mentioned, like this is this is sort of unprecedented. They haven't done stuff like this. They haven't really, in the past, really kind of observed Star Trek Day at all. So I'm glad they're actually taking advantage of it and doing something this year. And of course, like with all the Trek shows that are that are on the air now and all the ones that are going to be coming, how can you not? How can you let that day go by? So in a way, I almost feel like it's kind of making up for what they didn't do for the 50th anniversary. Yeah, I agree. They just have plus, more stuff out this time. You know, um, there's May the 4th. And then there's Batman Day, so you know yeah. Star Trek Day. It's just another part of the promotional. Yeah. You know. I mean. So yeah, take advantage of all of it. I mean, the way I see it, every day is Star Trek Day, but you know, so <laughs> so that'll be cool. Be so, Thursdays, definitely Thursdays. So that'll be cool. So yeah, September eighth, everyone just check out StarTrek.com/slash/day, beginning at twelve p.m. Pacific time, on the eighth. So that'll be cool. Yeah, the... we'll have to probably have a special episode on on that, perhaps. Yeah, because I'm hoping that, and given the fact that they're going to be talking about, yeah. So, so one, two quick things. So they're doing the Strange New World panels, which panel, which I'm very happy about. I don't know how much we'll learn about the show. And they're also doing a Discovery panel. I mean, I'm hoping with Strange New Worlds we get some inklings as to what the show is going to be. Maybe the host will let Kurtzman finish his sentence about oh god, yeah, world without cutting him off like the last, but. What I'm what I'm hoping for is that and I don't know if we really so since season three of Discovery is premiering next month and there's a Discovery panel on the eighth, I realized the other day we still haven't gotten like another trailer for the show, which surprises me. Right. So well, that'll be on Star Trek Day, I would assume. I, that and that's what that's what I was gonna say. Like I'm hoping that we we finally get something on Star Trek Day, right? Because we still don't really know what the kind of plot of the season is. We we sort of know, but not really. So I'm hoping that we can at least get another trailer that at le- that gives us a little bit more information. But um, yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't. Uh, I would have thought they would have released a trailer even long before this, given the fact that they had finished filming the season just before the pandemic hit. So I was thinking to myself, like, surely you can release a trailer by now. Right, I mean, when they released the first trailer for season three at New York Comic Con back in October of last year, 
they had only filmed like I think they'd only filmed like one episode, and they 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 spun a trailer out of or two episodes. They spun a trailer out of that. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, yeah. okay, you may not have the music yet, but surely you can put something together with the existing music, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that that was that um, that surprised me. Yeah, I think we could pro- hopefully expect to see one. That. Um, I have sad news here. So I'm looking at the people appearing. Yeah. And in the Enterprise panel, we have no Paul. So I think the chances of her ever reprising the role are probably zero. She won't even zoom in for a few minutes, you know? Then I think she's I think, probably... Uh, I, think Jolene, I think Jolene Blaylock has done... I think she. I know she. I think she's done some conventions, but I think she's only done. The, she only did them when the series was on the air. So she's kind of. It was probably contractual. Probably in her contract that she had to. She's kind of distanced herself from the whole thing, and you know, when I realized, like, if say T'Pol was going to appear on Strange New Worlds, she'd be very old at that point. So at that point, I'd be like, okay, you can get another actress. That's okay. I mean, granted, I would prefer it to be Jolene Blaylock, but. Given yeah, what to Paul's advanced age would, it. given what to Paul's advanced age would be, I'd be okay with it being another actress, as long as she looks like her, and gets right. the, and gets the uh, performance like her as well. So, uh, but yeah, we'll um, yeah, we could we should maybe do an episode after that and just kind of um, you know, po- post our reactions because I think eventually, you know. Lower Decks is going to end for the season, and then Discovery is going to begin, and we're not going to. And I think we're only going to have a week in between. I believe we're going to have to at some point discuss what we want to see in season three of Discovery, what our hopes are for season three of Discovery. So, if sure. they release a trailer for it, um, it would be a good time because be a good time. yeah, with this tight schedule of um, you know yeah episode each week, we won't really have an off week to do it. Yeah. My next two items, though, pertain to Discovery. So one is a news item, and one is another article that I found that I think is very interesting. So some season three casting news. They um, So season three of Discovery will introduce a non-binary and transgender character. So I'll just kind of read the release here, but it says, Joining the cast in season three is actor Blue Del Barrio playing the non-binary character Adira, described as highly intelligent with a confidence and self-assurance well beyond their years. They will find a new home on the Discovery and form an unexpected bond with Stamets and Culber. And also joining the cast is actor Ian Alexander, playing the, playing a transgender character named Gray, described as empathetic, warm, eager to fulfill his lifelong dream of being a Trill host, but he will have to adapt when his life takes an unexpected turn. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know, we're, I think we're both on the record as saying Star Trek is well everywhere should have a broad representation of the yep. um, Keep. spectrum of humanity. Keep and pushing that envelope. Especially Star Trek should have the broadest representation of uh, humanity. Yep. Given that that's sort of always been its thing, so keep I pushing that. Keep pushing great. that envelope. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested and to in see. The future, people would be not hung up on gender things. Absolutely. And we were talking about it, I think, before we began recording. So, And Trek has done it before, but I think you kind of made the point that it was more in other species and not enough in sort of human characters, right? So, right, not a recurring character. Recurring character, yeah. Even though but one 
seems to be a trill, but yeah, like it's interesting that the trill came up because when I first mentioned it, I thought of Terry Farrell's character. Yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned trill, and I thought, okay, yeah, so it makes sense. So that's um, that's two more characters in addition to the one that we've already known about for season three. His name is uh, Booker or Book, the one who we see in the trailers interacting with, uh, in the trailer interacting with Bur- Burnham. So, so we've got three new characters coming this season, which I think is going to be very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we definitely need new characters, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't, don't, clearly we don't know much about the story yet or what, you know, these characters' loyalties well, will be or their situation, but... Um, well, and when I read this, I was thinking about this, right? Like, I was, you know, Discovery needs to really build out that cast because I feel like when you really get down to it, the regulars that they have, it's not a very large cast. You've got you've got Saru, you've got Burnham, you've got Stamets, Culber, Tilly. So there's like there's there's five. You got the I, I can't I lady. Well, but there's like five solid regulars, right? And you know, I ladies, you call her Detmer, and then you have some of the other ones. So that, but like, yeah, they need to flesh out Detmer because they we know not, Detmer, but we don't know enough. They, they were, got rid of Arium, who would have been the coolest character, right? So the, like those remaining characters, like even though, I'm not going to go down this road again, it was presented to us that at least in the in season two they were going to be developed a little bit more because you know Pike wanted to, and some of them we didn't even know what their names were, right? Right. And so thanks to Pike we got to know who they were, and you know you and I made the comment that in New Eden, oh one of them actually went with them on the away mission, so like we're going to know more about them, and they just kind of it just kind of fell yeah. flat again. So I thought to myself like they really they really need to get a solid sort of main cast of characters here. And so even though those characters we mentioned came to with them to the future, I don't want these new characters. I'm hoping like I'm hoping I'm hoping they're not just characters for the season, right? I'm I'm sure every season they're going to add more characters in, right? Right. But I want them to gradually build up the ca- the the cast. Um yeah. I really just want the characters that we already know. So you mentioned the character who went with Pike on New Eden. Yeah. I'd like to see more of her. Yep. Um, yeah, still develop that too. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Rather than bring in, if they, because, okay. I'm going to calm down. If they bring in new characters that still don't develop the ones that I've known a little bit, I'm going to be bummed. That's all. And I'll just say this, and I will not say no, one. No, we're not. No, no, I will not say one more thing. When they just when those when those secondary characters who we who we thought were going to be developed further into the season in the final episode of season two. Oh no! No no no! Did it? They no no no! I'm 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 only going to make this point. Those characters chose to go with Burnham, and there was that sort of montage of them all saying goodbye to their families, recording, making recordings, saying goodbye to their families. Right? I thought to myself. This does not have any emotional resonance because you did not develop these characters this season. Yeah. So this means nothing. Right. And if so, they now, after that, don't develop them, then that's a dereliction of duty. Yeah. The most we know now are their names. But I still don't know anything else. Yeah. Right. Now, here's, and, a, here's so. another crazy thought, right? You could have someone from the lower decks. Now, I know they were operating with a skeleton crew, if I remember correctly. We don't but even still, know. Like, we still don't even know how many people went with them. I don't even know if it's the entire crew. I have no right. idea. Yeah, you could 
you know, have people that have, oh, they've been on the ship the whole time, but we're just bringing them up now. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, and I got to say, that, so, on the other shows, I was watching an interview one time with Rick Berman, who was the executive producer of Trek throughout the, you know, next generation years and all through the 90s. He said that one of the advantages of, of a show like Deep Space Nine, because remember, you remember DS9 had a very large recurring cast as opposed to the, in addition to the regulars, right? He kept saying, it's easier to do it on a show like that, to have a larger cast. And I thought to myself, yeah, but the Enterprise has like a thousand people on board. Yeah. Like, I guess here's Voyager had like over a hundred. Like, in one sense, they're on another deck. You don't see them every week. Here's why it's easier because everybody on the Enterprise, let's say, they most like whole groups of people have the same job. Right. So there's not that much variation. But on Deep Space Nine, you can have one dude can be a tailor and one person can run a bar and one person can be a security, like police for the area. So you get more variety, I guess. If you just have another, like, yeah, I'm a low-level engineering person. It could probably get a little harder to make them interesting. Well, and I think, but I think what you could do with that possibly is that you could have, you could see them get promoted over time. So they move into different positions or like, you know, what if Data gets promoted and now he's not the, he's not the con officer. Now somebody else is and Data goes to, you know, it was difficult to do that on Voyager because they're not in Federation space. So everyone kind of had to stay in the same positions, right? You couldn't advance because you didn't, you may not have somebody to fill the spot when you move on to your next rank. But even then, like on next gen, like you had Barkley, you didn't see him all the time. You saw him in maybe a handful of episodes, but like, again, like it could just be like, Oh, they're recurring, but they don't, they work on this deck and I don't see, and I don't see them that often. They're like, Oh, they'll, I'll run into them in the, in the uh, 10 forward or something like that. So I think there were things to do in terms of moments, but as opposed to like what they did for a living as their rank. Yeah, I can understand that. So, um, but yeah, so I'll be interested to see how this all works out on discovery, but on that note, so I found this other article. It's not a news article. It's more of a speculation article, which I thought was really cool um, pertaining to season three of Discovery. So it comes from a website called Inverse, which I'm not totally familiar with. I, I've seen some of their articles, but... Yeah, I've, I've read a few things there. Somebody on that... on that uh, And the articles I've read, it's not like clickbait. It, they're like legit like speculative articles, right? They're like forum posts just made into an article, right? Saying, oh, we could have this, we could have that. So one of them makes the point that because the trill seemed to factor so heavily into season three of Discovery, could the Dax symbiont still be alive and make an appearance, right? And I think that you could maybe feed those flames a little bit more when I go back to reading one of the breakdowns of these new characters. Um, the character of Grey, who wants to be a um fulfill that lifelong dream of being a of being a, a symbiont host a trill host so you know there's yeah, always that would be interesting because i don't know that we have any any um hard information on how long they live other than they live for a very long time i mean right? dax has dax has lived multiple lives lives right so I can't remember off the top of my head if Deep Space Nine specifically says how long a symbiont survives, right? And not every trill has, not every trill is a host, right? This article goes on to point out that 
like um in the next generation episode the host Riker briefly becomes joined with ambassador Odon and thus carries the memories and experiences of that trill could there be a situation on discovery where like say michael becomes a brief host for the Dax symbiont or one of these new characters right i mean i think it would be really and there's also a lot of other you in the trailer for the for season three we see um a Lorian, which is the same species as Morn. We see a Cardassian. So there's going to be... It looks like it's feeding into deep, to deep Space Nine quite a bit. I think it would be cool if they brought in... If they brought in Dax. I agree. That would be a great way to do it. So it definitely opens up the... I mean, and, and here's the thing. Even, in, even during the Discovery time, like the original Discovery time, I mean, the Dax symbiont is still alive at that point, too. So, um, you know, I think it could be, I think it could be pretty sweet that um, if they brought on if they brought on a legacy character like that. So, yeah, yeah, that would be the I think the most tasteful way to do it. Right. I I think it would be a situation like they had with Captain Pike. Right. Like, Pike was not really kind of forced into the show. And because we didn't really know much about Pike, he almost played off like a new character, right? In this case, even though we know who Dax is, this would be a different life for Dax. So that Dax would have the memories of the Jadzia Dax and the Ezri Dax that we saw on DS9, but it would be a totally different character at this point. So to, to me, it'd be a really nice Easter egg, but it also wouldn't I don't think it would sort of go... I don't think it would go overboard. No, I think that would be a very subtle way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. I just... Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. I think that would be... Um, I think that would be a really cool thing to see. So... Yeah. I just noticed that Inverse is also an in seemingly interesting article about Section 31 speculation. Perhaps we can discuss it at a later date. Yeah, we'll discuss it after the Section 31 panel on, the, on September 8th. Oh, wait. There is not one. <laughs> Of course not. Alrighty, well, I think that's going to do it this week. So yes, thanks for listening, everyone. We've now officially passed the halfway mark of season one of Star Trek Lower Decks. So, wow, hard to believe. Eighteen more weeks of uh, Trek in front of us. Eighteen weeks. Eight. Oh no, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> I almost got you to almost, do it. Almost, <laughs> almost, almost. So we'll be back next week for episode six. And whatever news may crop up in that time, I think we might, maybe we'll do something for, um, you know, do a post-mortem for, uh, for Star Trek Day. It all depends on what they, uh, I think it all kind of all depends on what they discuss. I definitely think we're long overdue for a season three discovery speculation episode. Yeah, so we need some more information before yeah. we can Hopefully that's what it will provide us with. That is my hope. That is my hope. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. See you next week. Peace out.